Well, good evening. Thank you for that devotional, Kevin. I, I really appreciated that. And I don't know about you, but I'm that last verse that you read, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful for that little word, but, because without that word, without Jesus coming and dying for us, we wouldn't be here, right? So praise him for that. <clears throat> well, it's good to be, good to be here tonight. Um, there was a period in my life where I spent about every other weekend at this church. <laughs> I might have had a specific motivation for that, but, <laughs> but it's certainly good to be here. <clears throat> so the, the topic that I've chosen to speak about tonight, <clears throat> and I've titled the sermon, Where Do I Fit? And, you know, that's something that often young people especially question as they grow and, and mature is, where do I fit? Where do I belong? Where is my place, especially in the church? And so I want to talk a little bit about that um, tonight. Have you ever been tempted <clears throat> to just stay home from church? You can raise your hand. It's okay. <laughs> We've probably all dealt with that a time or two, haven't we? You know, sometimes the, the kids are a mess on Sunday morning or the baby fills his diaper to full and overflowing right as you're walking out the door, or, or maybe you just had a rough week, and you're tired and maybe a little grumpy, and you just want to stay home. Maybe you forgot to wash your favorite shirt, your favorite Sunday shirt, and now you just don't have anything to wear. You might as well just stay home. <laughs> we could continue with a long list of excuses that we can make to keep us from gathering together with the saints of God. You might even think that, well, I don't need to go because I don't hold a position in the church. I'm, I'm not the preacher or a Sunday school teacher or I don't lead songs or, you know, all I really do is sit there and sing and listen to others talk. I don't really need to be there. I think I'll just stay home. Maybe the devil <clears throat> has attacked your thoughts in a, a much more negative way. And maybe you see yourself as useless in the church because you've not been given a prominent spiritual gift like preaching or teaching or prophecy or whatever it might be. Maybe you feel like you should be doing more, but God has chosen not to use you in the way that you feel you're qualified for. So you might feel inadequate and that you have nothing to offer. <clears throat> so you, you come late and you leave early. You avoid people. Or maybe you're the person who works and works and works and works and works in the church and just never stops. But you begin to feel as if nobody notices you. Nobody, nobody cares about the effort you put in. You're not appreciated. In whatever state you find yourself, I hope that this message encourages you that there is a place for you in the church. There's a place where God has called you to be, a place where he desires to use you. And it's important for us to recognize where that place is and be faithful in serving, serving where God has called us to be to the best of our ability. So I have two points to share um, tonight, and the first one is, does my church need me, and what part of the body am I? And our text will be 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to turn there. 
and we'll read the, the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 12. First Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man, speaking by the Spirit of God, calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit, and there are differences of administrations but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one in the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member... But many, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Excuse me. So my first point, does my church need me? You know, we can often be tempted to think that the church doesn't need us, but the short answer is yes. The church needs every one of you. And not only does your church need you, but you need the church, often more than what we realize. 
Verse 7 says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. The gifts of the Spirit aren't just given to a select few Christians. They're given to every believer. Everyone who's accepted Christ as their Savior is filled with the Holy Spirit and given a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are given with the purpose of benefiting me. No, they're given with the purpose of benefiting others and benefiting the body of Christ as a whole. Spiritual gifts are not to be used selfishly or for my personal gain or my praise or honor, but they're to be given, Paul says, to profit with all, to profit all believers. Verses 8 through 11 tell us that spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit as he wills. They're given as needed to fulfill the needs of the church, of the body. They're not based on my preference for what I want to do or what I think I'm good at. Trust me, if you would have told me five, ten years ago that I would be a preacher, I would have said, you're crazy. (laughs) But God has a way of filling us with the abilities that he desires for us to fulfill. And sometimes in spite of ourselves, he overcomes those and gives us the, the necessary things that we need to fulfill his desires. Spiritual gifts are very diverse. And when they're exercised faithfully, they work together perfectly. Verse 12 says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. The church, or the body of Christ, is made up of many different members. Each member of that body has a specific function to perform, a function that complements the other members of the body, and together they make up the body of Christ. The church is never meant to be one individual. The church doesn't hinge solely on the preacher or preachers but it takes all of us working together to make up the body of Christ. Verse 13 says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. All believers become believers only through one avenue. We talked, Kevin talked about it tonight, through the blood of Christ. And through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, it doesn't matter what your background was. It doesn't matter where you came from, from what social status you were before you became a believer. What matters is that you've been washed with the blood of Christ. You become a child of, of God, adopted into his family. It's often been said that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter if you're Bill Gates or Elon Musk, or if you're the poorest beggar out on the streets of New York City. Christ died for every person, for each person, for all of our sins. And so social status plays no part in how the Spirit gives spiritual gifts. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, 12 through 16. 
And Paul is again here talking about unity and the spiritual gifts. <clears throat> for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So the spiritual gifts here are given for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Like I said before, spiritual gifts are not intended to be used selfishly or for my personal gain. But the spiritual gift that I'm given is as much for you as it is for me. And the spiritual gift you're given is as much for me as it is for you. All our gifts are given for the overall benefit of the body. And you, faithfully using your gift as a good steward of Christ, helps me mature as a believer and as a Christian. And it promotes love and unity among the body. Every part of the body has something that it's responsible for supplying to the body as a whole. And when every part of the body is in its place and working together as a team, the whole body is built up and can grow as God intends for it to grow. You know how it feels when your arm falls asleep. It doesn't want to work properly, right? And it affects the rest of your body. Or maybe you, you get something in your eye and you have trouble seeing out of one of your eyes. It's, it can be hard to walk or hard to function with different things that happen to our physical body. The same is true of, of the spiritual body of the church, is that if, if there's one member that's not willing to do what God has called them to do or isn't willing to use their spiritual gift as God has intended for them to use it, it affects the whole body. <clears throat> Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the profession of our hope without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Hold fast the profession of our hope. Some translations use the word faith, without wavering. Now that's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to hold fast without wavering if I know that there's people in the church that are behind me, that are standing behind me, encouraging me, helping me to hold fast to the word of God. Consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Consider each other. How often do you think about and 
pray for another person in the church? How often do you think about how you can help strengthen their walk with Christ? How often in your conversation with others in the church do you steer the conversation to deeper things than the weather or the last football game or whatever it might be? Do you encourage them to love others, to do good, to help those in need, to hold fast to the faith? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, if we're not in church, it's going to be pretty hard to provoke other people to love and good works, isn't it? We can't work remotely, as a lot of people do nowadays. The Christian walk requires togetherness. It requires relationship. And that's what Paul is calling us to here. To not forsake the assembling of the body of Christ together so that we can encourage each other and we can exhort each other to hold fast to the faith. So does the church need you? Yeah, for sure. And you need the church because we all need each other. My second point, what part of the body am I? Going back to our text in 1 Corinthians 12. First Corinthians 12, um, continuing in verse 14. says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. <clears throat> this seems to be addressed to those who feel that their gifts are inferior or unimportant. Apparently, the, the flashier gifts, we'll call them that, like speaking in tongues, were being glorified in the Corinthian church. And so as a result, those who didn't possess that gift began to feel inferior and as if they didn't matter. But the body of Christ is no different than the human body. They both require diversity to work properly. And the members of Christ's body, as we've already said, have been given diverse gifts, and when used properly, they help accomplish God's sovereign purpose. So we have to each properly exercise our gift and use our position in the church for the good of everyone. Verse 18 says, but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. <clears throat> There's sovereign purpose that I see here, in that God has arranged that different Christians in the body are given different spiritual gifts and not the same gift. If everybody was a preacher, or everybody was a Sunday school teacher, or everybody was a song leader, or whatever it might be, it would be hard for the church to function, wouldn't it? We need the particular functions of every spiritual gift in the church. 
verse 19 says that if every believer were one member, like I already mentioned, let's, we'll say the ears, where would the body be that's intended to support that ear? How would the ear hear if there was no nervous system or no brain to interpret those nerve signals? Because the body can only function when all parts of the body do the job as God created them to do. Continuing in verse 21. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. This illustration, I believe, is written for those who feel that their gifts are superior. Superior and more important than the gifts that others have been given. And this is an attitude that, unfortunately, can often be found in those who have the gift of preaching or prophecy um, or miracles or teaching. And, you know, I have a friend who has the gift of prophecy, and he's admitted to me that he often struggles with this attitude of thinking that his gift is superior. And it can be something that the devil tempts us with and attacks us with. But every part of the body though different than other parts, is completely dependent upon the other members of the body. It's true that there seems to be, or that maybe there are parts of the body that seem to be less useful than other parts, or more unimportant than other parts, but the fact is, is that every part of the body is essential for the whole body to function. And those who possess gifts that seem less important in our minds are in reality indispensable. Just as we give food to our stomachs, and some of us probably give it a little too much food, because even though it's a less attractive part of the body, it's necessary, right? For the whole body to live and to function, we have to give food to our stomach. It doesn't make it unimportant. It makes it very necessary. So those Christians whose functions seem to be obscure in the church and that are seldom noticed or applauded for their efforts, I believe should be given special respect and honor because their efforts are very vital to the body of Christ. So we should never look down on another Christian because they don't have a prominent spiritual gift because if they're faithfully doing what God has called them to do, we need to encourage them in that. Notice what Paul says in verse 24 and 25. He says, God hath tempered the body together. In verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Tempered means to, to mix or blend together to create strength. Schism means a rent or a division, a tearing apart. So God has mixed or blended us together in the church and those believers in every faithful church <clears throat> through the different gifts that he's given to each of us. 
so that there's no division, no pulling apart, so that there's unity in the body of Christ. You know, I believe that when we're serving together in unity, complimenting each other, exhorting each other, encouraging each other, it's going to be natural for us to suffer when someone else suffers or to rejoice with them when they're rejoicing because we're invested in each other's lives. And I think that's very important. Paul goes on then to list some of the spiritual gifts. And he makes the point that not everyone can be an elder or a prophet or a preacher or a teacher. But he encourages us to desire the best spiritual gifts, he says. Now, I don't think that he's necessarily talking about one particular gift being the best. I think what he's talking about, and I think the point he's making, is that we should earnestly desire the gifts that will best serve the needs of the church and the needs of my fellow brother and sister in Christ. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4, 10 through 11. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Have you ever thought about the spiritual gifts as something that we must use responsibly? Peter said we're to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I think he's talking about the gift that God has given to you. If I don't faithfully use the gift that God has given me, am I not stealing from God? Am I any better than the servant who buried his talent that his master gave him and did not increase it for his master's benefit? Am I any better than him if I bury the gift that God has given me? What did that master say to his servant? He said, thou wicked and slothful servant. And it says that he cast him into outer darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When we don't use the gift that God has entrusted us with, we're not only stealing from him, but we're stealing from every other brother, every other sister in the church. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are intended to be used so that they can increase, so that they can build up the church, so they can be a witness, a testimony of the goodness of God's grace in our lives. So if we're not using our gift then we're burying it, most likely. Just as the unfaithful servant buried his one and only talent. When God desires for us to use it, to increase it for the benefit of his kingdom. So you might be struggling to find your place in the church or the gift that God has given you. You might, look at, you might be looking around at others, and we know that that's never a good thing, right, to compare ourselves to each other. But you might be, and you, you might envy those who seem to have a very effective ministry 
whether it's through their Sunday school class or maybe God has given them a special ability to organize events for the church. Or maybe they have a gift to, to minister to, to youth or to seniors or whoever it might be. So as you look around and you compare yourself to others, there just doesn't seem to be a place where you fit. And maybe you feel kind of normal, if I can say that. So normal Christian, I'm talking to you. I want to introduce you to what others have called the ministry of the pew. Have you ever heard of that? The ministry of the pew. Because your mere presence at church is a blessing to everyone else who comes. If you are Christ, if you are his child, you have an indispensable role at every gathering of the body. But before you get too excited, <clears throat> the ministry of the, of the pew involves a lot more than you probably realize. You know, often we think, and this is common throughout Christianity, we think that the pastors are to be the ones ministering. But in reality, the pastor's ministry doesn't replace your ministry. It refines it. It supports it. The pastor's job is to equip each believer to minister to others. So here are a few tips I'm going to give you for your new ministry of the pew. Because you have, whether you realize it or not, a unique opportunity. An opportunity to be available because you're not um, burdened with church responsibilities. Make good use of that opportunity. Use it for the glory of God. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give you a burden for someone at the service Sunday morning. And then when he gives you that burden, go and talk to them. Spend time in real conversation. Make eye contact with them. Because love, true Christian love, looks others in the eye and says, I care about you. I want to understand what you're struggling with. I want to help you. Risk having a real conversation. You know, too often our conversations are very surface and have no real depth or meaning. But to have a real conversation means that we steer our conversation to deeper things. Often it might take you being willing to share your struggles before someone else will open up. Deep tends to call to deep. So be the one that takes the first step to minister. Be willing to honestly share your heart. And you'll be surprised at the opportunities that God will bring you to minister. Keep an eye out for that first-time visitor who after the service is awkwardly caught mid-pew with no one to talk to. Make it a point to be the one to go and talk to them, to introduce yourself. It can be awkward sometimes, I understand that. But consider your Savior. Did he not take on human flesh and allow himself to be whipped and tortured and humiliated? He drank from the cup of God's wrath 
Because he placed your interests above his own. Because he loved you. So if we're to have the mind of Christ, can we not risk a real conversation with someone else? Can we not risk eating lunch a little bit late Sunday afternoon to learn more about the people that we worship with? Ask one person each Sunday how you can pray for them. That's not a hard thing to do. Maybe you come prepared with a a verse to share with someone and you ask the Holy Spirit to guide you to the person that needs to hear that verse. Give a word of encouragement to a young man that has devotions. Compliment him on on the comments that he made, that he shared. Now here's one that as Mennonites we struggle with, I'll be honest. Shout amen once in a while during the service. (laughs) Your church isn't any different than ours. We struggle with that, but you know, sometimes it's okay to express encouragement like that to the to the one who's bringing the message because it's very encouraging to to be up front and to see that people are engaged and attentive and sometimes we need to say amen because we agree because it speaks to our soul and that's okay be willing to step in and help whenever and wherever there's a need arrive early and stay late plan for the ministry that God has given you from your pew to extend into lunch. You see, the ministry that God has given you, if you don't have a particular job or gift in the church, takes intentionality. It takes effort, maybe more effort than even what what the pastors have to put in. It takes prayer. It takes risk. It takes sacrificing the easy road for the scenic route. Greg Morse said, and I quote, much of the best ministry in healthy churches happens by those who never hold a microphone. You think about that. You see, we never know how God might use us to encourage another person or to pray for them when they're in need or maybe even to bring a soul to Christ on a normal Sunday morning. But it requires faithfulness. It requires a willingness to be used of God wherever he places you in the body. Even if that's just on your normal pew on a normal Sunday morning. So in conclusion, I didn't come tonight to explain to you what spiritual gifts you have. But to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit what gift he has given you. And to encourage you to think about how you're using that spiritual gift. And are you being a good and faithful steward of the gift God has given you? Are you increasing it for your master? And I promise you that if you're a born-again child of God, there is a place for you in the body of Christ, even if it's just sitting on your pew every time the church doors are open. So seek out those opportunities to serve others. See how you can bless other people, how you can encourage them to keep the faith, to hold fast. Be intentional. Take a risk and talk to someone new. Ask someone how you can pray for them. Be real, be honest with others. And God will use you 
to open hearts to the freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Thank you for your attention tonight. It's a blessing to have been able to share with you. Let's bow for a word of prayer, and then I'll turn the time back over to Kevin. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day that you have made. Thank you for the privilege that we have to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, I pray that you will bless each one who's here tonight, that you'll bless this church. I pray, Father, that you will lead them into the paths of righteousness. And I pray, Father, that you will um, bless their ministry to their community. Father, I pray that as we go from here tonight, that we will honor you, that we will be a shining light to a world of darkness, and that we will serve not only you, but each other. Father, I pray that you will help us to be faithful in using those gifts that you have given to each one of us, and that through that, we will, we will bless you and we will honor you. I thank you again for your gifts, for your grace and your mercy, and I pray that you will bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I'll turn the time over to you.